Good morning, everyone. This is Donna Tyson, your host for Rivers of Faith here on Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk. We want to thank you so much for joining us again this beautiful Tuesday morning. I just love technology. I am sitting in St. Petersburg, Florida, looking out at the Gulf of Mexico from a hotel room. Our producer is in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. My guest, one of the guests is online in Arizona. One is online in Virginia. And we hope you're listening from all the beautiful corners of the United States. It's just amazing. And um, I just want to thank you again for taking the time to join us every Tuesday morning as we bring you stories of hope and encouragement. want to encourage you to join in on this show today. You can go to the Hear Women Talk chat line and chat in with us. Let us know what you're thinking as we're talking. Ask questions if you're afraid to get online. But if you're brave and want to come online with us, we'd love to invite you to join us at any point during the show, the phone number is 646-652-2071, and your calls are always welcome. With me this morning, as we talk, I have Christina Lufkin. Christina, thank you for joining me this morning. Well, thank you. The pleasure's mine. I know it's early there in Arizona, so I'm especially grateful to you for coming on this morning. What is it, 7 o'clock there? Yes, it is. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, we'll get you a cup of coffee while we talk. It's right <laughs> We're gonna here. Have, me too, me too. We're going to have a great show today as we talk about hospice lessons and miracles. And you know, for so many of us, the word hospice brings a finality with it. Um, it's a program all across the country that comes in and deals with our loved ones during the last stages of their life. And Christina, I understand that you've been involved with hospice for quite a few years as a volunteer. Tell me how you got involved. Um, Yes, I have. Well, um, after completing one year of volunteer service uh, with a domestic violence group, I was absolutely burnt out. And so I just sat down and said, I know I need to serve, and I just prayed that God would show me where I needed to go next and that very evening the local newspaper came out and I opened the the paper randomly and and opened to a big ad for hospice volunteers and that's when my wonderful um, hospice journey began Wow, and so that was about 12 years ago? Um, Yeah, it was 1994 Okay and so you decided that you would serve there, looking for somewhere that maybe wasn't as intense as with the sexual battery group, right? Right, right. And, and seeing, you know, seeing the real downside of life, right. Okay. So now you're going to go in when people are passing. How did you start out as a volunteer? What did you do? Um, I started out in, in Washington State, and I had a 40-hour training program. And um, that particular training program um, teaches you how to realize that that people um, losing control of of making their own decisions, of you know, losing their independence in many different ways. It taught me all about who I really am, because you really have to dig deep. Um, but when once you get that training, you realize that it's you're there for the family and the patient. So it's not about you. Um, so I felt very very um, capable going in and just just being there. Well, you know, you bring out a good point, and that's something we really want to stress today, is that oftentimes when we're volunteering, we forget that we're probably the one who walks away with the greatest blessings, even though we're there using our gifts and time and energy to help others. It is during those times when we're volunteering that we take the focus off of us and that we're really open for God to teach us a lot about what our life is all about. Don't you agree? Absolutely, absolutely, and I, um, I always, I have never been on an assignment, as we call it, 
um, and felt that I gave more than I received. That's never been the case. Now, tell me about your personal background. What what did you think that you were bringing to the table to be able to offer as a hospice volunteer? Well, I, I, at first, I think just just my my faith and my love for for people and the um, unconditional love of you know. There's a lot of different types of love, but just to love your fellow person um, is a, the greatest blessing. And um, I do uh, spiritual uh, intuitive life coaching and um, I do foot massage and I do just a different variety of things. But um, I think one of the biggest gifts that I have is the gift of not only gab, but the gift of listening. And when, when a patient wants to talk, it's often the volunteer that they will share their most intimate thoughts or fears um, with for whatever reason, and I don't know if it's because they're not on the paid team or or what that is, but that's what um, really guided me there. I just love people. Well, and I think it's so important that we hear what you're saying, that, you know, the talents that you're talking about are talents that so many of us have, no matter what your age, to be able to have the patience to sit with someone who just needs somebody by their bedside to do simple things like preparing a meal, assisting them, you know, to the doctor's office or to the the bathroom, just to be there as a companion is so important. There are so many of us who sit and go, I don't really have any talents because I can't sing and I can't balance books and I can't, I'm not a great chef, but all of us have two ears, all of us have a heart, all of us have the ability to share our time and energy. So I hope people that are listening, that are caught up in their own pain will take this as a as an encouragement to really get out there and use your time and energy to make a difference especially with the holidays coming up. This is such a hard time for families that have lost loved ones, for families that have someone in the last stages of life. And, um, uh, you know, I would just encourage you to do that. Chris, I want to talk to you a minute about what you said your background is as a spiritual, intuitive life coach. Tell me what that is. It sounds fascinating. (laughs) Well, actually, I just... um I just assist people that are um, that are looking for. Uh, I have people that are making um, job changes, that they're considering moving, that they are just feel stuck, um, or they're on their their spiritual life path, wanting to learn, wanting to learn more. Um, and it's again, it's sitting down and, and really listening, um, asking them asking them questions and, and allowing them to make their own decisions. I don't give anybody any answers. I just okay. give them the question to find their own answers. Great. Now, sometimes that's real frustrating for those of us who want somebody to come in and give us a quick fix. You know, I want an answer or a Band-Aid now, and I want to be able to move on in my life. But unfortunately, most of our bigger lessons come through a much longer process, don't they? Absolutely, and I have had clients like that, and I just say, you know, maybe now is not the time for you to be working with me, and um, <laughs> and that usually frustrates them more. So um, they then say, okay, I guess I better do my my work, and then I do, um, we, I just do different self help types of classes, and and um, we're um, one one class now we're going to work on is we're going to write our bucket list. And, uh, um, I watched that movie again the other night, The Bucket List, and thought about what my bucket list would be. I did really good on my bucket list up to about number 42. And then I ran out of big things, and I found that the rest of the list was, you know, the smaller things that I could really accomplish if I would just take time to do it. Absolutely, absolutely. Fun, fun. You also said that you do a lot of massage. Talk to me about the power of touch and healing in the last stages of a person's life or when they're in pain. Oh, absolutely. Yes, I do. I also do um, Reiki energy work. Um, and I did just foot massage. And um, the, um, the the thing about that is there's absolutely nothing better than, than the human touch. Um, also, I, I when I'm... Sitting with a patient, um, often I hold their hand, 
it, you know, just whatever the patient wants. And I'm a really big hugger. And for those of you on the listening on the line that know me well, will know that that um, a handshake isn't enough for me usually. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to go there for a second about the power of touch because in this show we're talking about the small things that make a huge difference in a person's last days when their senses are so open. And um, we're going to be talking about the power of music in the second half of the show, but I want to talk about the power of touch here. I can remember my mom getting her first massage and she laid on the table and tears poured down her face. And it was just that total release and relaxation. And the more that I have talked to elderly people, actually to women like myself, I've been single for um, 23 years now. For someone who isn't in a relationship or married, the power of touch and massage is such a release of of just inner frustration. And you know, we we forget how simple just touching someone's hand or rubbing their foot or their shoulders or brushing the hair away from their face is in letting that person feel loved. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And um, I, like I said, I'm, I'm a very touchy person. Therefore, um, it just comes naturally to me, and I always ask, of course, first. But um, I have experienced a lot of times where I've, I actually have done foot massage for family members of, of, of patients as well. And they just line up. And one of the funniest stories is I had um, I had one patient whose granddaughter um, climbed up on on the bed when I was done with her grandmother and put her little feet on on the towel. And I said, "Well, I guess that was the the biggest invitation yet." So then I did her. Oh, I just love that. Well, you know, um, my memories of my father right before he passed and he was on his deathbed, I stood and stroked his hair back from his face and just ran my fingers through his hair. And I can remember him doing that when I was a young girl. I'd go sit in his lap and daddy would stroke the hair back from my face and brush my cheek and I just, I will never forget that moment um, when I was doing the same thing to him, trying to let him feel the love that he had given so freely to me as a as a young girl. And um, now my sister has my mom do it to her all the time. So I would encourage you, if you have children or, or elderly parents, next time you're sitting with them, Touch their hand, give them a hug, stroke the hair back from their face, whatever it is that you know has brought you signs of love. Be sure and share that. We're going to move forward. Um, we're going to take a short break. We're going to come back and talk with Chris Lufkin about a wonderful experience she had with a hospice patient. Please stay tuned. Hi, this is Judy Collins from Judy's House of Oldies, and you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. Hello, race fans. This is Jeff Gilder, creator of RacersReunion.com. When you're in Myrtle Beach, check out my favorite, the Caravelle Resort. The Caravelle Resort has a golf department and concierge with golf privileges at virtually every course on the Grand Strand, including the coveted Dunes Club. And ladies, pamper yourself with Caravelle's Studio Spa. Featuring services such as Swedish massage, heated stone therapy, reflexology, manicures, pedicures, facials, and more. Awaken your senses with the most requested massage and spa therapies. The Caravelle Resort, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, 800-507-9145. Get the best rate on the Grand Strand when you use promo code RACERS at thecaravelle.com. 800-507-9145. Hi, this is Deb Coletti, and I am your host of Life on Purpose, a radio show where I'll be having conversations with a wide range of fascinating women who are, in my opinion, leading a truly rich life. We will laugh, we will cry, we will sometimes get very serious. It will get edgy. It will definitely be irreverent and uh, no, no subject off limits. 
Tune in to hear where we go and even join in the conversation. Life on Purpose with your host, Deb Coletti, Tuesdays at 11 a.m. on the Hear Women Talk Network. Hi, folks. This is Private Investigator Vicki Childs, host of the Vicki Childs Show on Hear Women Talk Radio. How safe is your cell phone? Is someone listening to all your calls or reading your text messages? How about your computer? Is someone watching all of your keystrokes? Or do you want to know what your child, your employee, or your spouse are doing on a computer or cell phone. If you need computer or cell phone forensics, do what I do. Talk to Steve Abrams at abramsforensics.com. Steve is a highly respected and skilled forensics expert as well as an attorney. Contact Steve Abrams for a free 15-minute consultation at abramsforensics.com. That's abramsforensics.com. Or click on the Abrams Forensics banner ad on Hear Women Talk and use promo code Hi, this is Michelle with LaBellamy Vineyard. You're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. Welcome back to Rivers of Faith. This is Donna Tyson, your host, welcoming you to the Hear Women Talk on Zeus Radio Network. This morning on Rivers of Faith, we're talking about hospice lessons and miracles. And you know, some of the most sacred moments that we'll ever experience in our life are when we're with loved ones or new friends during their um, final moments. I understand from my guest, Chris Lufkin, who is on the line from Arizona, that in 2004 you had a beautiful experience, a life-changing experience with an 87-year-old black man. Tell me about Mr. P. Oh, boy, where to begin? Um, He was absolutely uh, full of life and had his own agenda and... um, Full of laughter, he uh, was a recovered alcoholic, um, which he didn't tell me till the very end of end of his life. But I met him on August the 18th, and I walked in. I was going to massage his shoulders. Uh, he played the piano for his church still once a month, and he was a CPA and a music teacher for 40 years. And he never married. And I asked him why, and he said because he was so busy being in everybody else's business, he forgot to tend to his own. So he wanted to be <laughs> sure <laughs> that I knew that I needed to tend to my own business while I was tending to others. Um, and he would test me on, um, he asked me, he said, look at this cup of water. What do you see? And I just smiled at him and said, I see a, a glass that's half full, Mr. P. And he said, that's my girl. And so that that opened the big doors, and I, I, I swear I lived a lifetime um, with him. By the third visit, he said, to, I massaged his feet and his neck and shoulders, and then he would, in return, he'd play the piano for me as his payment for my, uh. my gift to him. Um, no, Chris, I want to interrupt a moment because sure. you said when you sent me your notes about your experience with him, you told me that when he opened the door, you saw a light surrounding him. Tell me about that moment. Oh, okay. Yeah, I opened the when he opened the door. He just la- he was just laughing, and I don't usually see things like this, but all around him, just outlining his body, was this bright white light. And he just opened the door and, and kind of opened and he just and he grabbed me. And um, as we talked a little bit before I before I started um, his massaging, um, he said to me, "I had the most profound experience when I opened the door because I he said I I looked at you and I saw this white light all around you, and wow. I just burst out into tears and said, "Well, I saw the same thing." So it was almost like a divine appointment that the two of you were supposed to meet. Absolutely. In fact, he he went on to say, "Well, isn't God wonderful?" Um, And I I, by that time I was so choked up I just nodded. And for those of you that know me, it's not very often I'm speechless, but that time I was. Wow. Now you said it felt like you experienced a lifetime with Mr. P, but in reality it was four months. 
right. Now, That's- how did you handle the guidelines, the hospice guidelines? Aren't there guidelines about how close you can get to a person? Yes, there are. And, and, um, <laughs> and, and I will just share with you exactly how I handle that. By the second visit, I knew I was going to break all of the rules. So I wrote a letter of... Um, of leave of absence and said, you know, I, I, um, I'm going to see him on my own because I'm, I was very upfront and I just said, uh, that, um, I was going to have to be a part of, <coughs> excuse me, a part of his life and I couldn't, um, how, how you think you can do this kind of work and not be personally attached, I don't know, but at any rate. Well, tell me what those guidelines are. What does hospice say are the guidelines for you to come in as a volunteer? You come when they schedule you, right, and not on your own time. Correct. You and and you you write, you know, you you document the visit. You it's confidential, so you can't you don't tell your like my my husband knows none, nothing about any of my other patients except him. Um, you know, etc. You're not supposed to get just overly involved, but I knew that God was sending me to him and and he to me, and that this was um, a much better um, way to handle things, so, you know, I obviously didn't want to break any of the rules, and and I went back to him. So you took a leave of absence, and you went into what you call one of your greatest lessons of unconditional love that is not a romantic love, but a, just a love for another human being of, built around great respect and sharing of life lessons with this 87-year-old black man. I just love it. Tell me what you consider to be the greatest lesson that Mr. P taught you. Ooh. Well, I kind of I want to kind of combine a, a a little bit because right off the bat he told me that I was going to be the one he made his mind up he wanted me to be the one to tell him when it was okay to let go and die and I I said to him now why would why would you do that I don't I have not known you that long and he just said that part is none of your business girl and he used to call me that so. <laughs> so I, I learned that, that there are questions that I'm going to ask that it's just going to be none of my business. Um, he also told me that I needed to get out of my own way and to realize that I had a message to get out to the world and that having a fear of speaking in front of people, that he was going to help me with that. And then the other thing was that he orchestrated uh, a Christmas party at his at his apartment and he said I, I'm bringing all of this, my special, the special people in my life to this, this party and I want you and Dave, that's my husband, to join and I, I said okay, obviously I couldn't have done that had I not been on a leave of absence and I went there and for the first time ever my husband and I were the only white people there and I tell you it was the most profound, we had so much laughter and everything and then at the end he says well I'm going to tell you all what you're really doing here. I'm going to let Chris tell you. And I had to then tell this this intimate group of 30 people that he was headed to the VA hospice and that he was this was his, the last weekend he would be living in this apartment. And it was uh, such an honor and scary for me at the same time. Um, and so he had to move out of his apartment. And where did right. he move? And he went to... Um, the the VA has VA hospital in California has uh, actually had a hospice wing, and mm-hmm. so I continued to go there, um, and I crocheted him an afghan because um, I couldn't go; it was farther away. I only lived a few miles from him when he lived in his apartment, but it was a thirty mile drive for me. So I crocheted him an afghan, and um, he had that there with with him because he said he felt my energy in there. Now, Chris, talk to me a moment. You said that he selected you to be the person who told him when it was okay to let go and to, you know, let go of his life here on earth. I hear that again and again from people that work with hospice, is that there you reach a point where someone has to give you permission to say, it's okay, your work here is done, and it's okay to let go. That's got to be hard. Oh, it was. It was. It was hard. In fact, if 
I can share that moment with you if you would like. It it uh, I went. It was um, Mr. Peterson was a, a very happy um, man, and he really wanted to to. He couldn't wait to to meet Jesus, and so the Thursday before Christmas, I went to visit him. And when I walked in, I just burst out crying because I knew that this was the time. He was kind of curled up, and and he always wore a beanie cap. And uh, he had his beanie cap on and my afghan, and I just burst out crying, and he kind of opened his eyes. And I pulled the chair up, and I took his hand, and I put my other hand on his forehead. Like you said, I always stroked his forehead. And I said, uh, through my tears, I said, I'm okay. It's just a boo-hoo day for me because today's the day I get to tell you that it's okay for you to go. Your work here is done. And he just said, oh, good. And then I told him it was Thursday. But Saturday was Christmas Day, and I was planning on coming to see him around noon. And then I looked at him and I said, will you be here? And he said, no. And he actually passed Christmas morning at 7. So you think he knew that he was getting ready to pass? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Did you you experience that with other hospice patients? Do you think that individuals know that they're getting ready to die? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I had another patient who, for whatever reason, and I'm so glad I went I went along with her request, but for whatever reason, her daughter was home that day, and she said, I want to have a Happy Meal from McDonald's. And I'm thinking, okay. So her daughter went out and got each of us a Happy Meal, and we sat around her bed, and none of us really ate too much, but we did. But we got the little toys to come with it out, and we started playing. And... <laughs> I just thought, you know, this is this is strange, but I'm just going to go with it. And um, when I when I left, and I bent over to give her um, my hug and kiss, and she said, "Thank you. I needed to play before I go on." And she died wow. about three days later. So I, I have no doubt in my mind that that I don't know that everybody does, but I've experienced that a lot do. Well, I want to share with you an experience I had with a best friend who passed of cancer. And she had wanted to die at home, but when she would get to the moment when the lungs were not able to give her more air, she would panic. And so she went to the hospital, and we were told that it was her last days. And um, and I was just heartbroken. I had already lost my dad. And I went in to see Barbara. And um, I stopped at the drugstore and got a color book and crayons. And when I got there, she said, you have lost your mind. I am dying of cancer. And you are sitting here bringing in a color book and crayons. And uh, she said, I haven't colored since I was four years old. And I said, well, Barb, maybe that's part of the problem. You know, you've concentrated on work and goals and today we're just going to laugh and play and I crawled up in bed with her and we laughed and colored and we hung pictures all over the walls and the day that she passed she handed me a colored page that was her last gift to me and she knew that that was the day she was going to die and she handed it to me and said I have a gift for you and she said all my life I've colored inside the lines somebody else drew and today for the first time I colored my page my way and it feels great and it was just scribbles all over the page in bright bold beautiful colors not inside the lines anybody else had drawn and I'll never forget that it was her greatest gift to me and so I I understand exactly what you're saying when you talk about Mr. P giving you the gift of life as he passed on I hope that any of you that have had similar experiences with um, the passing of someone you loved or beautiful experience with with hospice will consider calling us we're going to take a short break go ahead and dial the number 646-652-2071 as we talk about hospice lessons and miracles
Hi, this is Jessica Dorvaj, host of the Where Is My Guru show, and you are listening to Hear Women Talk Radio. Hi, this is Deb Coletti, and I am your host of Life on Purpose, a radio show where I'll be having conversations with a wide range of fascinating women who are, in my opinion, leading a truly rich life. We will laugh, we will cry, we will sometimes get very serious. It will get edgy. It will definitely be irreverent and uh, no, no subject off limits. Tune in to hear where we go and even join in the conversation. Life on Purpose with your host, Deb Coletti. Tuesdays at 11 a.m. on the Hear Women Talk Network. That's galore. Visit our store at 4822 Highway 17 at Barefoot Landing. We have the largest source of hats in the greater Grand Strand area. Tilly, Stetson, Indiana Jones, Wallaroo, Top Hats, Mad Hatter, Derbies, Felts, Fedoras, Cowboy, Golfer, Driver. Life is good. We carry a large selection of women's fashion hats as well as Red Hat Society hats. We also have an assortment of umbrellas, canes, and walking sticks. Hats Galore, located at Barefoot Landing in North Myrtle Beach. We are the best source for hats in the Grand Strand area. Hats Galore at Barefoot.com. Hi, this is Chris Hillenberg of Hear Women Tell on Hear Women Talk Radio. You can hear us every Wednesday between 3 and 4. Please join us where we get the story behind the story as we talk to professional storytellers. Hi, this is Jessica Dorovage, host of the Where Is My Guru show. Join us Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Hear Women Talk. Hi, my name is Jesse Jordan with Further Faster Initiatives, and you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio. Back everyone. This is Donna Tyson with Rivers of Faith on Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk. Today we are having a great show talking about hospice lessons and miracles. We're talking about the experience of hospice volunteers as they've sat with people who are ready to pass on from this world. With me for the second part of the show, I've asked my friend Linda Long to join us. Linda, thank you. You are welcome, Donna. It's my pleasure. Now, Linda, I know you as an incredible musician. Whenever I think of you, my heart smiles, and I think of your incredible gift as just a a talented artist. But you're also quite um, active in your work with those who are in hospice. Tell me a little bit, first off, about your background and your training. Okay, well, I grew up in Scottsdale, Arizona, and um, got my music degree from Arizona State University, and then I moved to the Dallas, Texas area, and I was teaching in the school system, and um, several of my students uh, died during those years there, so I was actively involved with those families. Um, I worked with a child with cystic fibrosis who was three years old, and uh, it was from that work that... Um, a colleague of mine in the school system um, said, I know you work with children who are dying. Would you consider giving voice lessons to one of my students in my school system who has a brain tumor, and she has about eight weeks of life left? And I said, not a problem. So I went over to her home, and she was in a wheelchair, and that began began my serious um, focusing on the needs of people who are walking that journey toward the other world. And this little girl always wanted to be a dancer. And so she worked at her voice lessons, and she told me that she was so happy because she could dance with her voice. And then the last two weeks, the tumor took over, and she couldn't speak anymore. Um, And that showed me that there was a a need for um, a kind of presence with people when they're going through stressful times, not just the patient, but the family themselves, as Chris was talking about. And our hospice in the United States just got going around 1975 in Connecticut, actually 1974. Um, And Sylvia Lack was a nurse there, and she started the first hospice in the United States in New Haven. So we've only had 36 years of hospice programs in the United States, and it's volunteers like Chris 
and all of our other wonderful volunteers that make this possible. Well, I want to talk about hospice for a moment because as someone who has not worked as a volunteer actually going into people's homes, but I've certainly worked with their fundraising efforts, when I think of hospice, I think of people who are just devoted to making sure that there is dignity and a quality of life for those people who are getting ready to die. Um Talk to me about when a family first finds out that hospice is being called in. I think that's such a final note. How can we work with families um, who have been told these are the last days of a person's life? How do you give them hope when they've gotten that diagnosis? Well, I, I think one of the main focuses of the hospice movement is to provide a, a sacred space for processing what's happening to a loved one and to the family. And, of course, the, the word hospice was used to describe um, a place of rest and recuperation on the rugged trails in the Swiss Alps. That's where the term came from. And so the volunteers in the hospice movement provide listening ears, um, a willing pair of hands, um, and they are all trained in the stages of grief. So when a family gets that that uh, word that hospice is being called in, they know that um, the end is in sight. And then the focus becomes how can we make, how can we live our dying, not how can we um, be a victim of it. And right. um, there are so many people in uh, in the United States that end up alone. The family has left. They're in a hospital bed, and they're about the last 10 days of their lives, most often in hospitals. And a lot of times there's no one there with them. And because it's thanks to the hospice movement and, and work of people like Chris that families know that there's a whole support network in our community, um, in, in Fredericksburg especially, that provides you with uh, information on support services. Um, for example, um, MetaHome Health and Hospice is a division of the uh, Medical Services of America. And all of their, vol their volunteers, and they also have paid staff, are uh, medically trained nurses and physical therapists and, and the like. And they provide the counseling services for the grief stages up to a year after someone's passing. So right. no longer is someone isolated in a hospital bed, and the family is not isolated to walk alone. And there's there's usually some denial, some how can we face this, people go through, should we tell the, the person who has the terminal illness that this is it, do they already know? Some what is your opinion on that? What's your opinion on that, Linda? If if the family has been told that these are the last days, do you think the patient should know that, or do you think that that creates a psych psychological uh, giving up? I think that, and I'm not going to give you a straight answer on <laughs> I'll put that. Put you on the spot. <laughs> I think it's a case of um, if families have to gauge with the help of the hospice workers, the people who are trained in the signs of when someone's ready or not, um, they have to gauge that to the individual person and how they've lived their lives. My personal feeling as a hospice worker is that our goal needs to be to surround them with love in the way that you were doing with Barb, you know, and, and with your dad. That just love is, is a very powerful energy and that will carry them where they need to be. Um, I, in me as an individual, I would want to know. I, I would okay. want to know what I was facing. And I do Chris, think how that about on you? a deep level... Uh, no, yes. go ahead, Linda. I'm sorry. Chris, oh, how okay. about you? Would you want to know? Patients, no. Did, yes, I would. I would want to know. Yeah. Okay. I would want to know also. Isn't that silly? But I want to know um, that I'm getting ready to leave. Um, but we should really be living our life that if, if we die this moment, that we have 
told the people that are around us how much we love them and that we are spiritually prepared as well. That's an interesting concept, Linda. I really appreciate you sharing on that. I hate to interrupt you, but I have so much I want to ask you about. (laughs) I, I love your definition of hospice creating a sacred space. And you do that through music. And you have a ministry called Joy Song Ministries. Tell me um, sure, be happy to. Um, back in 2003, um, I was invited to start a Songs for the Soul support care program for hospice support care in Fredericksburg. And I trained uh, singers in my choir in um, the palliative music style of singing. And we went to the fourth floor of Mary Washington Hospital um, every week on Sunday after church and we sang at the nurses' station. And um, out of that program grew Joyce on Ministries, which um, is a nonprofit corporation here in Virginia. And we are church musicians who are dedicated to alleviating pain and suffering through our music. We have a harp ensemble and that uh, goes to um, churches and uh, civic organizations to do fundraising concerts. We have a 25-voice Corral, the Joy Song Corral, that also do, uh, does fundraising concerts as well as the therapeutic music. Um, we've done music in hospitals, rehab centers, nursing homes, and private homes, not just for the dying, but for people in um, medical periods of crisis. Um, sure. If you've just come home from hip surgery and you feel like you're going to scream because you can't get out of the bed or that the pain, even with the medicine, is just awful, that's where a harpist can come in really handy. Oh. We don't charge for, for our services, and we bring the and, small Celtic harp. <laughs> and I will attest to that, because I have been there with you when you have played the harp, and I have laid on the floor and felt the harp vibrations and the most incredible sense of peace and well-being has just flowed over top of me. You also do a lot of work in neonatal units. Tell me about that work with the babies. Um, I was invited by um, Tammy Reese, who was the, uh, one of the nurses in the neonatal unit, and she is the director of the bereavement program called Garden of Angels at Mary Washington Hospital here in Fredericksburg, um, to bring my harp and play in the neonatal unit. Um, one of the days that I came and played, I was told after the fact that the, the staff in the unit had just lost one of their patients who had died in the night, and that... Um, our, our nurses in the neonatal unit are such warriors in this fight to keep babies alive. And it just um, has a number on their heads and their hearts in terms of stress when they're the front line in the battle to keep the babies alive. And it, the, the, the unit just felt very, very heavy when I brought the harp in. And they usually have me set up in the center of the room and... Um, the incubators are behind me and a lot of times the babies can't hear inside the incubators but I'm told by the nurses that um, the stress levels go down because the harp is affecting them and they can hear it. How beautiful. It's interesting that the sound waves are going to go through the floor and I wonder sometimes if the sound waves aren't um, affecting the incubators themselves and so the babies well, on some they... level are picking up those vibrations. Sure, and I know it also brings great peace and comfort to the staff who is all around. Linda, we're going to have to take a short break. We're going to be right back talking with Linda Long and Chris Lufkin about hospice lessons and miracles. Stay tuned. This is Judy Collins from Judy's House of Oldies, and you're listening to Hear Women Talk Radio on the Zeus Radio Network. Hi, this is Deb Coletti, and I am your host of Life on Purpose, a radio show where I'll be having conversations with a wide range of fascinating women who are, in my opinion, leading a truly rich life. We will laugh, we will cry, we will sometimes get very serious. It will get edgy. It will definitely be irreverent and uh, no, no subject off limits. Tune in to hear where we go and even join in the conversation. 
Life on Purpose with your host, Deb Coletti. Tuesdays at 11 a.m. on the Hear Women Talk Network. Attention boppers, shaggers, and swingers. Join us at the J.B. Floyd Community Center in North Myrtle Beach Wednesdays at 7 p.m. for the fast-paced excitement of the Swing Syndicate. Study the swing styles of Jitterbug, Double Time, Lindy, West Coast, East Coast, and Show. Sure to be a big hit on the Grand Strand. That's the Swing Syndicate Wednesdays, 7 o'clock, at the J.B. Floyd Community Center in North Myrtle Beach, 10.30, Possum Trot. Road, Wednesdays, 7 o'clock. Hi, folks. This is private investigator Vicki Childs, host of the Vicki Childs Show on Hear Women Talk Radio. How safe is your cell phone? Is someone listening to all your calls or reading your text messages? How about your computer? Is someone watching all of your keystrokes? Or do you want to know what your child, your employee, or your spouse are doing on a computer or cell phone. If you need computer or cell phone forensics, do what I do. Talk to Steve Abrams at abramsforensics.com. Steve is a highly respected and skilled forensics expert as well as an attorney. Contact Steve Abrams for a free 15-minute consultation at abramsforensics.com. That's abramsforensics.com. Or click on the Abrams Forensics banner ad on Hear Women Talk and use promo code When you're in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, home of Zeus Broadcast Network and Hear Women Talk, there's a wonderful adventure that you should try. Carolina Safari Jeep Tours. Go to www.carolinasafari.com and check out Carolina Safari. Mention Hear Women Talk and get a discount from Carolina Safari Jeep Tours. See another side of Myrtle Beach. Get wild with wildlife. Explore history, nature, and mystery on a Carolina Safari. This is Paul Trulove on Zeus Radio Network for HearWomenTalk.com. back. Thank you all for staying on with us. This is Donna Tyson with Rivers of Faith on Zeus Radio Network for Hear Women Talk. And today our topic is Hospice Lessons and Miracles. And the first half of the show we were talking to Christina Lufkin in Arizona about her incredible experience with hospice, some of the lessons that she's learned, and in particular her relationship with an 87-year-old black man, Mr. P, who taught her many, many lessons about her life and who encouraged her to have her voice back and to speak openly and to take her message into the public. And Chris, I appreciate you staying on the line with us. This this part of the show, I have Linda Long, who is um, the founder of Joy Song Ministries, talking to us about hospice and the power of music in creating sacred space. Linda, I appreciate you being with me. We have a friend that's called in. Rosemary, are you there? Here. All right. Hello. Um, Hi there, Hey, guys. Rosie. <laughs> I appreciate you Hi. calling in. Want to remind everybody that you can call in and join us on the show in these last few moments in 646-652-2071, or you can join us on the Hear Women Talk chat line and give us your thoughts. Rosie, that's how we got you involved. You were talking to us on the chat line, and we said, call in. We want to talk to you on air about it. I understand that you joined Linda recently in a hospital visit for a friend of ours who had a stroke. Tell me about how you and Linda worked together in that and what your background is with hospice and death and dying. Well, I've been a massage therapist and acupuncturist for a long, long time now. And then I wanted to add to my knowledge, and when I turned 50, I decided I'd go back to school and get a degree in psychology. And during that time, I did extensive studying about end of life and the elderly and hospice work. And I, I had a specific interest in it because over the years when I was in my own practice, and even you know more recently, somehow, I end up with people who are near death. And it's not that they're in a hospital or hospice situation. It's normal people like you and I who are having dreams that they're going to die or um, 
body sensations they don't understand and i and uh, uh, for for example uh, um uh, an elderly man who was at a party i i was at came to me and said i'm just having these dreams that i'm going to die and and i don't understand what's going on and i said i said a few words of comfort to him and sure enough within a few days he had passed on and i was on the phone with a mother of a friend of mine and she had just gotten out of the hospital with lung cancer and was explaining to me how she was floating out of her body. And so you think that's conscious dying? Going on. Is Pardon that me? what conscious dying is? Is when you are aware no, that you are in the process? With people who've died, and so then I began studying conscious dying, and I and began talking to people. I found out that at the end of life, nobody really talks to people about about making sense of the life that they have just lived or listening to their story and asking them about their accomplishments and their regrets and there's a great need to tell that. I find often that people get caught up in the the medical processes at the end of life and there's a fear that's happening when actually I think people need to tie up their story. And what a great point. Great so point. We may have to do a whole show on that, Rosie, on just conscious dying and tying up our <laughs> stories. Sounds like a whole nother show on it. Stay on the line with me for a moment because I want to come back to Linda. And, Linda, I have two things that in the last moments I want to make sure we get in. One of them is this experience that you had where you actually worked with um, Rosie, both of you. She is an energy healer and you with your music and creating sacred space. Tell me about that experience. Um, we went to, yes, this was uh, with Rosie's friend Sunny, who was recovering from a stroke, and uh, we took the harp, and um, Rosie went in and did acupressure on his feet and on the um, paralyzed section of his body to help restore um, some circulation and function there, and I was taking the sound waves from the harp and matching them as far as tone color and rhythm to Sonny's breathing patterns and Rosie's breathing patterns and using the sound waves to weave um, a sense of stability and peacefulness and wholeness in, in the room. And, of course, I pray when I play harp, so I was praying the music through the harp strings while Rosie was using her medical expertise um, with him in, in the physiological realm. And right. it was a wonderful blending that is was done back in ancient Greece. This is not these are not new concepts. Well now funny, Rosie No, go ahead. Yeah. It, Rosie funny, from you just mentioned Yeah. yeah funny <laughs> okay, I'll talk. Oh, she could go to sleep. <laughs> it was so relaxing for him. Absolutely, and it brought peace to him. Rosie, we are going to bring you on for another show to go much more in-depth with tying up the stories and everything. I want to thank you so much for calling in um, and and for sharing your gift. Just before I let you hang up, what was your one-sentence thought about that experience of working with music at the same time as your healing touch? I can feel... um acupuncture meridians, the energy that flows, and the music made that energy flow through him so strongly. So even though his physical body wasn't able to, you know, uh, raise his fingers, for example, I could still feel that energy flowing through his body. And this week, he actually is moving his fingers. That's great. That's great. Well, Rosie, I thank you so much for calling in. I'm going to go back and close out the show now with Linda and Chris. Thanks again. Linda, um, as we talk about the power of music, and Rosie talked about um, opening up the flow of energy, for people who, when, when they are around intuitive spiritual healers around musicians and artists who talk so freely about energy fields and healing oftentimes um, you know they they think that's foo-foo that's way out there and they're very uncomfortable with talking about that what it what would you recommend to someone who has never been exposed to talk of energy and and healing what would you recommend where would you recommend a safe place for them to start their study Linda 
Well, they could go on the Internet and Google the International Society for Music in Medicine, which okay. uh, in 1976 got going as a coalition of um, medical experts, um, doctors in the sciences uh, from all over the world who gathered to talk about the healing effects of music as they were seeing it practiced on their patients and they wanted to find a medical background for it, the International Society, Society for Music and Medicine. There's okay. a book called The Healing Forces of Music, which covers the history theory and practice by Randall McClellan, Ph.D., and he was trained at Eastman School of Music and the Cincinnati Conservatory. And those are just two books that um, start giving us a, ba uh, a basis for blending um, medical and scientific research in our century to support the healing work of music and medicine that has been known in all cultures down through the centuries, Chinese and and okay. uh, Babylonian, Hindu, um, well, the Greek. What I would ask you, Linda, is if you would go on our chat line possibly when the show's over and type in that information so that people that didn't have a pen available would be able to have those resources. Would you do that for me? I'll have someone do that for you. I have that to would be great. <laughs> my next appointment after that. Okay. That'll be great. And also, I want you to give us your website for the Joy Song Ministries. Yes, it's www.joysongministries.org. Okay. I would encourage all of you to look up these ministries. They, they're just fabulous. Linda, we're down to the last two minutes, but I don't want to miss the story of Julia. So if you can tell us quickly about the sacred moment that happened with your friend Julia when she was preparing um, for her last moments here on Earth. Okay. My friend was um, over 90 years old, and she was dying of stomach cancer. In the last few weeks of her life, um, she was curled up in fetal position, looked like a little bird. And uh, that is a particularly painful process, um, the stomach cancer progression. Mm -hmm. She never complained. I would walk in and massage her feet. She used to be a ballerina. And uh, uh, the day that she passed, the hospice worker was ca called my house, and I was teaching. And she said, we think it will be tonight. Can you get over? My son was lying on the couch with strep throat. <laughs> but Julie was like his uh, surrogate grandmother. So Devin came with me um, after I finished teaching. It was raining outside. Um, the husband was not comfortable being in the room, and I went and got him and said, it's okay, you can, you can sit right here. And they had played um, a, a CD of my choral group's music in the weeks approaching her death. And I, I asked Devin if he would sing Heart of God, Ron Wayman's wonderful piece about death and dying and Devin's going mom my throat but he did start singing it and as he came to the it's come with me to a place of peace cast all your fear aside walk with me down a path called faith into the heart of God it gives me two just those lines and as Devin sang the final note heart of God um, Julia breathed out her last and this sense of otherness and awesomeness, this presence of God came into that room, and it, it was just like St. Francis says about walking with God, and God peered into everybody's face, and the people who were crying and grieving, he knelt down and grieved with them in St. Francis's vision, and St. Francis said, God loves his creatures. Absolutely. And and Linda, I'm going to have to cut it off, but I appreciate so much you sharing with us. I want to thank both you and Chris for sharing your beautiful experiences as a hospice volunteer, for making sure that indeed Mr. P and Julia did not die alone, and for sharing with us just your experience of watching and experiencing as these loved ones moved to the heart of God. We thank you all for listening to Rivers of Faith today. Hope you'll listen every Tuesday. Tuesday morning. Again, may the rivers of faith carry you gently through life today. God bless.